I really do believe that you can choose to live a charmed life. That's why I wrote a book called Creating a Charmed Life, not falling into one, <laughs> but creating yeah. one for so yourself. Yeah. So you take the steps and then when the possibilities and the connections and the little miracles show up, you grab them. You're listening to the Everyday is a Breakthrough podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Hummel. I'm here to invite you into living your most alive and aligned life possible. On this podcast, I'll be holding the mirror for your deepest truth and desires and giving you the permission and the power to not only follow your dreams, but to walk with firm trust in all of who you are in everything that you do. So if you're somebody who's here to live out your life's purpose and you're the kind of person who gets after it no matter what, this show is for you and I hope that you get the absolute most out of listening. All right, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited that you're here and super excited today to have Victoria Moran on the show. Victoria was listed by Veg News among the top 10 living vegetarian authors. She was voted PETA's sexiest vegan over 50 in 2016. I love that. And has written 13 books, including Shelter for the Spirit, Creating a Charmed Life, Younger by the Day, and Main Street Vegan. Cool. Well, I'm super excited to have you on today. And you do a lot of work around Ayurveda as well. So I'm just really excited to chat today on the episode about clearly like following what you felt like called to do in this life, the amazing stuff that you've created and some of your work around Ayurveda and what you do today. Thank you. <laughs> There's so many little topics of fascination that I absolutely love. And it's so much fun to be on a podcast like this with somebody who also has areas of fascination. And then we get some overlap. Yeah, totally. I feel like too, probably 99% of the people listening right now are like, yeah, I'm multifaceted. There's like so many different things flowing and it's so beautiful too. And I'm excited to hear more about your story, how you've incorporated all of that into what you do today. and really how you've been able to, for anybody listening, right? I talk about all we need in life. Like we don't really need more time or more sleep. We just need more energy around what we're doing in order to like create what we want, right? It's like, if we have energy or an excitement around our life's work, like you wrote 13 books. That's amazing. Wow. I always like to start today just to let everybody know where we are. So I am tuning in from my home in Los Angeles and you're in New York. I am. Cool. Well, let's just sort of dive in. So clearly you've done some really, really incredible stuff. And I'd love to talk more about the work that you do now later on, but I just love to hear where did you start with all of this work? So I saw that you sort of initially planted the seed as a child. You were like, I want to be a mystic. You planted the seed. Like, have you been doing this work forever or what really got you started on this path? Yeah. I mean, I think that the early childhood stuff is really important because that's when we're closest to who we really are before we get other people's ideas and societal ideas kind of pasted on. And not everybody can remember that far back, but a lot of people do. And women in particular have some of those really early memories. And for me, even though Things were difficult in a lot of ways. Um, my family situation was not perfect. I don't think there were a lot that were perfect, although certainly when I was a kid, all the families on TV were perfect. Um, but, but in spite of everything, I just thought this was all supposed to be a very magical experience, that if you were out in the playground at school and you just happened to think that you saw a fairy under a toadstool, you probably did. And I just decided about six years old, you know, you can either look at life in this very pedantic way where everything is just what can be measured and explained, 
or you can look at it as a, a series of ongoing miracles. And I just thought that would be the better way to do it. So even though I was not a popular kid, I was overweight, I was kind of klutzy, but I didn't see myself that way. And so when I was 14, the Beatles came upon the world scene and there was a, a magazine called Teen Life that you could send a dollar and get a press card. And thousands and thousands of little girls did that. I'm sure it was a real cash cow <laughs> for the magazine, but I took mine very seriously. Once I had that card, I was a journalist and I acted like one. So I did everything right and got myself invited to the Beatles press conference in my hometown of Kansas City when I was 14. So I got to the hotel where it was happening and it was very interesting that I was inside and across the street in a park roped off, there were thousands of girls my age, but I was in the hotel. And I remember thinking, make a note because a lot of them are blonde and thin and cheerleaders, but I'm here and they're there. And so I couldn't get into the elevator because the guards had been told no teenagers allowed upstairs. So I was trying to call the editor in New York and trying to get everything squared away. And I saw that the man who had put up the money to bring the Beatles to Kansas City, he owned the uh, baseball team there at the time, it was quite a colorful character, was coming in to go to the press conference. And he had a Playboy bunny on one arm. This was the era of the Playboy clubs. Yeah. And I went up to him with all my documentation and said, I am supposed to be there. And he looked me up and down. And again, I was not an attractive kid. But after he did that, he gave me his other arm, the one that didn't have a bunny on it. And he said, come with me. Just don't say anything. Well, I couldn't have said anything anyway, because I was four feet from Paul McCartney, who was my favorite Beatle. Fast forward 40 years. I'm going through the big channels on TV, looking for something to watch. And in one of the sports channels, they were doing a retrospective of the life of this man. And they were talking to some of his baseball players. And one of them said, Mr. Finley could look you up and down and see your soul. And if he liked what he saw, he would go to bat for you. And I realized that's what he did for me that day. And that's just one early experience that I like to cite because I really do believe that you can choose to live a charmed life. That's why I wrote a book called Creating a Charmed Life, not falling into one, <laughs> but creating yeah. one for yourself. Yeah. So you take the steps and then when the possibilities and the connections and the little miracles show up, you grab them and you don't shy away and think, oh no, I couldn't possibly do this. Or, oh, I see that's a miracle. It must be meant for somebody else. Like, no, uh-uh, that was mine. I'm taking it. Wow. What an epic, beautiful story. I love that so much. And yeah, I so agree with you on that. And like my own way of really having our imagination and like creativity and curiosity or really imagination and curiosity are what we have to change our experience in the future. Right. Because our body just sort of takes things from the past. We rearrange the past and what we know and what we've seen. And the only way to break through that is to have this imagination or curiosity. And I love the way you explained it of just, I just felt like that was the way it was supposed to be. That's so beautiful. Well, I think you can either decide to make life magical or make it something else. And that doesn't mean that we don't have awful things that happen. I mean, everybody has to go through just some really, really difficult stuff and, and some people more than others. I mean, obviously people come with differing degrees of privileges and, and things right out of the bat, but each of us can take what we've got and do something with it because there are so many people. And I always like to use the kind of football player, cheerleader, reference because so often the kids that really do amazing things in high school and everybody is jealous of them, 
they don't tend to have really magical lives later because they didn't have to fight to get them early. It just mm -hmm. sort of came to them easily, certainly not in every case. But I think very often when you hear from people who live incredible lives, they were not <laughs> they were not the cream of the crop uh, at the prom. And so I think it's a, a decision and it's also a daily decision because it's so easy to look at what's happening around us and getting up in the morning and saying, okay, am I going to be happy today? Am I going to be miserable today based on, did I get this thing I wanted? Did this person call that I was expecting? What does my bank account look like? And all that. Well, if you're looking out there, it's going to be up and down and happy, sad forever because that stuff is always changing. Mm -hmm. But if you come from your inner self that you can keep a little more steady, you get more happy days. And that's yeah. probably what it means to win in the end. Yeah, that's so true. It's like, um, right, we have all this stuff that happens in our past, right? And we all have these things no matter what they are, but that ability that is the bridge to go like, oh, maybe I'll see something better. Maybe I'll change this outlook. I see it as like the bridge to the other side, right? And then once you have that and you open up, it sort of makes it easier to, to do any of the work that needs to come or any of any of the things that, you know, you've gone through in life that maybe you need to, you know, go through and do some healing or whatever that looks like. But being able to have that little spark I'm like, oh, maybe <laughs> like grab onto that little spark because there's something better in every moment. And that's going to be different from everybody. But the more we can grab onto that spark, we'll see, see the sparkle on the other side. Yes. And, and I love that you use that word spark because I have a yoga background and that in, in the Eastern teachings, that's the essence of who we are. It's the spark of life, the spark of light, the spark mm -hmm. of the divine. And when when we can remember, I mean, when I can remember, and certainly it's not easy, you know, there are a lot of days it's like, oh my God, all this stuff to do, all this is on me. And I forget, no, wait a minute, you're a spark of the divine. You're this light in the world. And yeah, so you have a longer to-do list than a human can do today. Guess what? There's also tomorrow. And, and just go with that, go with that knowledge that I'm more than what I see. I'm more than what I think of myself. I'm more than what people have told me about myself. And I love biographies. I just love reading about people who have done amazing things because they had the same questions about themselves, the same doubts, the same imposter syndrome that all the rest of us have, but they just went forward anyway. Yeah. And our lives are different because of what they did. Yeah. So true. Oh my gosh. Such a good conversation. I'm like laughing right now on the other side of this, because I'm thinking I, I wasn't the prom queen, but I was definitely like, I was definitely, um, you know, in the group when I was growing up as a kid, but it's funny, like for anybody listening, I love that analogy of, you know, it's like whatever we have when we're faced with something that we have to work toward in life. And we like ask ourselves these questions. It gives us the opportunity to go, I'm going to make my life having that introspection to be like, I'm going to make my life something that it's not right now. So it's so, it's so funny listening and kind of reflecting on the the prom queen example, because I'm looking at my own life and going, okay, yeah, I had the popularity piece, but that was actually, well, it's actually really funny because that was sort of a, a response that I had from something in my childhood, but there were all these other pieces of my life that I was like, oh, this is not what I want for my life, or this isn't feeling, you know, like all, all those things that were my spark, you know, that were my piece of, okay, this isn't the thing. Well, there was a book, I don't know, back in the 70s or something, a science fiction book, which I didn't read, but I always loved the title. It was called Stranger in a Strange Land. Mm. And I think that for a lot of us, that's what it's like. You know, we show up here on earth and you know, sometimes we don't really feel like we're in the right family. <laughs> there was a 
wonderful uh, psychologist who used to write about women's issues. And she would say that there's a legend that the zygote fairy is flying over the houses with all the little zygotes who are going to be embryos, who are going to be kids. And every now and then one jumps out too soon. And, and this is the creative, the bright person who is so eager to be here and get this thing started. They just can't stay in the basket long enough to get to their correct home. So they end up in some other home. And I think so many people are like, you know, who are these people? I mean, I love them, but I'm just so different. And and then sometimes it's just the the mores of, of wait a minute, this, this is how things are done. And I think sometimes just learning how things are done on earth takes some people longer than others. And some of us are, I think, just more at home in our lives and in our bodies. There's also a teaching that a little piece of our soul gets kind of left back at a star so that we can find our way home when it's time to leave. And I think maybe some of us leave a little bit bigger piece in the heavens because some people they're just they've just got it you know they show up here and they're athletic and they're smart and they're suave and they've got everything going on and then some of us are like huh what that this is what you have to do (laughs) and so perhaps some people are more fully incarnated than others but we're all here with the opportunity to do something splendid because we're so unique and our gifts and our talents are so so interestingly orchestrated. And it is wonderful in our era that we are allowed, certainly in our part of the world, to, to celebrate our gifts and our talents and not have to, you know, do what our grandparents did. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, funny as you're mentioning that, I always think about, right, it's no matter what we sort of do in life, there's going to be an equal and opposite reaction, right? So even if if you're the the outcast, right, that's probably going to have a, a positive and maybe a other on the other end reaction. And for some people, you know, even no matter what you do, right, it's going to create a reaction on both sides. Like maybe being the popular prom queen is going to be the most isolating thing for somebody in their lifetime. So it's, it is really fascinating. Like we're all here. We all have our own gifts. What are we going to do with them? But I'd love to talk about some of your gifts and like a lot of what I do in my work and what I share about and work with clients around is, you know, there's a lot of ways to say this of life purpose, or there's a million different ways that people really describe that, like your unique contribution, your purpose. And I really just use the word alignment, which is doing what feels good to you. And that's really what I truly believe that we all get to do in life. Just continue to follow what feels good for us, what makes sense to us. And I'd love to dive in a little bit with your work. So you have a few different things floating around. There's the spiritual work that you do, the vegan work, well-being, some Ayurveda. I'm curious, like what ties all that together when you went from your child ascending in the letter and sitting in the press room with the Beatles to the work that you do today? Like what has been the common thread there? Like what has always brought you back to all that? Well, in terms of what I can do, I can do words. I can write and I can speak. And that's really all I can do. I'm (laughs) kind of hopeless outside of the realm of words, but you can do a lot with words. So in the theme of of taking what you've got and using it, uh, I've done that. And in terms of what I've used those words for, for me, it really has been about this spiritual essence of what's going on. And I got my degree in comparative religions because I wanted to know what people did to find truth and and meaning all through the ages and all around the world. And when you had said that when I was a kid, I said I wanted to be a mystic when I grew up, I had heard about mysticism and the mystic vision, which is when someone, and this can be religious person, non-religious person, old, young, it kind of doesn't matter when they come into a period of knowing 
knowing, not just believing or imagining, but knowing that they are absolutely one with everything else, with all people, animals, nature, universe. And when they come out of that and come back to the everyday, they're changed beings. And I always thought that was just the coolest thing ever. So I remember telling my Beatles fan club pen pal that I wanted to be a mystic when I grew up. And she said, why don't you just be a, become a um, sophisticated lady theologian? Because then you could study for that in college. And so I guess I kind of did that. So within that, I was drawn to yoga and to becoming vegetarian and ultimately vegan. It was part of the spiritual journey. I wanted to live in a way that was, as you talk about, more in alignment with how I see the world, with how I see my relationship with other beings. And because being a writer, it's such a wonderful thing. You get to write about whatever you're interested in. So sometimes I would write about spirituality and that's it. And sometimes I would write about veganism, which to me is part of my spiritual life. Certainly yoga. I learned about Ayurveda later, but Ayurveda, this beautiful healthcare and self-care system that grew up alongside yoga, I've just found so healing in probably the last like 30 years of my life that so much of the kind of health world that's out there is, well, you should do this. You should do something different. Maybe if you were smaller or larger or you ate differently or you whatever, and Ayurveda says, no, you're perfect. Your job is to keep yourself in alignment with who you were designed to be at the moment of your conception. So the goal, if you're going to change anything about yourself, is not to be less of yourself, it's to be more of yourself. And certainly for women, after decades and decades of you're wrong, do this, change that, that's just a beautiful, beautiful way to be in the world. So one thing kind of leads to another. Yeah. I love that. I love your just permission of like, you know, I wrote about spirituality and then I wrote about veganism, even though that is your spirituality. But I, I love how you're just like, I can write about anything and I'm going to write about what feels good. And I, I'm just curious because I work with so many people around figuring out like, what is the thing that I'm going to do? What is, what do I call myself? What do I tell people I do? And I'm just hearing this beautiful you just following what feels good and it flowing so beautifully into something. So I'm just curious if you have anything to say on, on that, like to somebody who might be wondering, like if yeah. I'm a spiritual person, can I really talk about basket weaving? Like, <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. I, I think you have to demand that of the world. And I must say it's a lot more difficult now because, you know, as I think you mentioned, I'm 73 years old. So I started out when the world was different. So for example, for writers, you could write anything. I remember opening up a book by Aldous Huxley and it often in the beginning of a book will say other books by this author. And most of the time it's the same kind of book. But with Aldous Huxley, who was working in, in the early 20th century, early to mid 20th century, his books were listed by fiction, nonfiction, history, biography, self-help, children's poetry. It was like he was the library. And nowadays, you wouldn't be allowed to do that in the world of traditional publishing, because there's just so much more fear, I think, in the current era so people get boxed. It's like, oh, you write about whatever women's issues and now you want to write about kids. You can't do that. You just, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> it scares people to think that somebody would would change. So you have to really stand up and fight for what you need to say. And then in terms of career and that kind of thing, I think it's a little bit of a blessing if somebody is like me. And they can only do one thing. 
or two things, even for me, just the writing and the speaking have sometimes kind of tugged at each other, which should be what and where. But a lot of people are really multi-talented and there are a whole lot of things that they could do and do well. And I think that working with a coach like you really, really going through the process of it's not just what you could do well, but it's what would give you the most bliss in your life. Because of course you want to make money. And, you know, I didn't think so much about making money when I was younger because I came from that era of, you know, the establishment and all that (laughs) <laughs> and and thinking that we didn't really need money. Well, you do. And and the older you get, the more that you see that you do. And yet you can make money in some different ways. And so all other things being equal, go for the bliss. Don't go for the bliss if it means you're going to end up on the street with a tin cup. But short of that, go for the bliss. Yeah. So beautiful. Um, I love, I love the way that you mentioned that. And yeah, I totally, I feel so in agreement with that of like, go for the thing that feels good. So you can create the energy and, and keep going. And the really cool thing too, I've shared a little bit about this in past episodes in the podcast, but all the, I don't do like a ton of deep trauma work, but I am trauma informed with my work. But what's really cool is all the trauma healing studies in the last five years are really about following your purpose and how that's really heals you. And some of the recent research shows that if you follow that bliss or you do the thing that you're quote unquote, like meant to do or called to do, that it actually leads to you making more money, not only Mm. for you, but for your entire family. Wow. Yeah. Which is amazing because if the data is right, you won't end up with the tin cup. You'll actually end up with more money. <laughs> that's great. Love it. Yeah. Well, love- because that's what you can really do well. I mean, most people could go to a company looking for employees doing something or other and be trained to do that job. But if you're really good at something and everybody is really good at something, And you figure out a way to do that for money. And I know sometimes people just want to do it for love. And sometimes that's better. You know, I used to look at uh, little kids playing baseball and how happy it made them. Unless, of course, they got into Little League and their parents were crazy. But generally just, you know, playing out in the park, they were so happy. But then you'd look at these people playing on television and you knew that there was a lot of money at stake. And you could see a tension there that this thing that they had loved so much had become intensely serious. So I think as you're looking for what you want to do in your life, and, and the cool thing is too, you don't have to do the same thing for your whole life. You start out with something and it can lead you to something else. But I think it's really important that you try to remember why you loved it. And what happens so often today, and probably with some of the people that you work with in a more entrepreneurial kind of way of living, more of the gig economy, we work so hard. You know, if you're self-employed, your boss is a tyrant. And very often, in fact, I think more often than not, and I'm in this along with everybody else, concepts like office hours and weekends and vacation, and we're closed. (laughs) We just don't have that anymore. And just the idea of of doing something like getting software to shut off your email or your access to social media for a period of time, it can be so difficult because we have this idea that we're always supposed to be working. Mm. But that's so damaging. It's so bad for your health. It's so bad for your spirit. And sometimes you just have to be incredibly brave and just say, I'm taking the day off. You know, if you had a job and they didn't give you a day off, you could sue them. But when you work for yourself, you can just treat yourself miserably and nobody will intervene unless you do. 
Yeah, it's such a great point. And I, I really, it's so funny you mentioned baseball, number one, because I'm going to a Dodgers game tonight and number oh, cool. two, um, <laughs> my partner is a professional athlete. So I, you know, that's kind of the epitome of doing what you love and like, how far do you take it? And I, he does, he does it so beautifully. It like, blows my mind, but you know, I'm really, I haven't dove into the words around this much, but I really feel like it's so important to when you're doing your soul's work or your heart's work to really separate your purpose, quote unquote. I still don't even know what that means, but to separate your purpose from your job sometimes and to mm-hmm. give yourself permission to go, okay, this is right. I feel like what I do for work is kind of like my soul's work, right? It's my purpose. But I also really look at it like a business. And I think it's so important to do that and to be able to run our business. And then just like you're saying, take time off and go, I'm going to pour into this in ways that aren't necessarily going to bring me a financial return. Like I'm just, mm. and, and like you say, then they might, <laughs> then they will. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's so important. I feel like for entrepreneurs doing their soul's work or anybody, even if you're working for somebody else to just give yourself that permission of this is a business and some things on the business end are going to run like a business. And then I also have this permission to step away and and just fill into, just do those things that I love, why you did it in the beginning before you started making money from it. Well, I just think every day to not fall into the same old, same old. Mm -hmm. And this can be whether you're in school or whether you're doing a job that you love or a job that is just a stepping stone to the next thing, or whether you're entrepreneurial person it's so easy to just like, okay, here we are. Here's a day. I mean, I was doing it this morning. I I was um, going downtown. I'm in New York city and I was going down on the bus down fifth Avenue and I was working because I I had my laptop. And of course, you know, I work for myself. So I work a lot and I looked up and I happened to look at Bergdorf Goodman. And it's like, this is arguably the most magnificent department store in the world. You are passing it. And you were looking at a computer. You, th- this is Fifth Avenue. You need to be looking at Fifth Avenue. You just missed all of Central Park. So at least look at some of the buildings. There's Tiffany's, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> be here now, be present yeah. and just give yourself these little tiny gifts and, you know, yeah. some people would say it would not be a gift to me to look at a department store. Well, fine. But I started out in fashion and I, I love that kind of thing. Oh. So to me, it was a real uplift. So find what's your uplift and and just feed it to yourself. Put it on your, your to-do list. And if you find it six or seven o'clock in the evening and you haven't had an uplift yet, just make sure you get one. Yeah. So good. It's so important, like to give ourselves the energy and the little bits of joy in our lives so that we can do our work, like do those things first. It's such a, such an incredible reminder that so many of us forget. And especially when you're constantly, not constantly working, but working a lot and you love your work, right? It's like, you got to pause and let yourself be so good. And I, I love that you started out in fashion. I feel like we could do a whole nother episode talking about that in the beginning, but I, I'd love to talk about some of the work that you're doing now. And I, I want to ask, you touched a little bit about the charmed life and you've written 13 (laughs) books. One of them is the charmed life. Do you feel like you're living the charmed life or you're creating that? I wouldn't have written creating a charmed life had I not thought that I had done it. That doesn't mean it's perfect. I mean, that doesn't mean that you're protected from disappointments, from even tragedies. And yet my idea of a charmed life is one in which so many things work with so much serendipity. You just kind of step back and say, wow, isn't that something? And I do believe in something like karma. Other people would call it something else. But 
there's stuff that goes on in life that we can't do anything about and that we would rather not have. But somehow in the midst of that, and especially if you look for it, if you look for the coincidences, if you look for the people that you run into that you needed to run into, just, I mean, I've met people on public transportation <laughs> who have just given me a piece of information that really made my day. And there are all of these stories about strangers who turn out to be angels or something. And I feel like all these encounters are, are kind of angelic, that you're just thinking of something and then you know you get a text that is just about that thing. And to me, these are kind of, some people call them God winks. I think of them as just little messages from life itself that you are supposed to be here. You do have a path to follow. It's not clearly delineated. It's not laid out. It's not like, okay, next week do that. But they're just these little little kind of urges and little sort of pushes and momentum. And oh, golly, you haven't called Joe in a long time. And it just don't let those things go because I think our, our instincts and our intuition are are there to help us live charmed lives. We just need to be paying attention. Yeah, so beautiful. It sounds like it's not a destination of like, oh, I've done the, the charmed life and here I am in this end result. It's just a way of moving through. It is. And there are times in my own life because I wrote that book, Creating a Charmed Life, and it did really well. And I, I had paparazzi in Iceland and, you know, it was, it was quite a time. And then 10 years later, I did a sequel, Living a Charmed Life. And so whenever I'm going through a really tough time and I'm just feeling awful and everything seems just heavy, you know, to me, that's when life gets the droopiest. It's like you feel like you're wearing a coat with rocks in the pockets, no, it's just harder to move forward. You don't know what to do and you don't have your regular energy. And I'll think you wrote creating a charmed life and then you wrote living a charmed life and now you have rocks in your pocket. <laughs> but it's all part of it because life is such a, a cyclic thing. And, you know, there was this old Frank Sinatra song, riding high in April, shot down in May, but you just keep at it. You know, you just, you just keep with those cycles and and then you bring out the magic. And this is an interesting thing too. If you like find somebody that you really admire and you find their Wikipedia or whatever, that first little paragraph, it's gonna hit all the high points. It's gonna be all the reasons why we admire this person, why they're cool, why they did something that changed the world. But then as you get further down, you'll see there was the bankruptcy and there was the icky divorce and there was the tragic loss of someone close to them. And so we always like to think of ourselves as just that first paragraph. It's like, oh, I can't be having an icky day because I'm supposed to be doing all this great stuff in the world. It's like, yeah, your top paragraph is really good and your other paragraphs are real life. That's just the way it is. <laughs> I love that. It's so, I love that explanation of the Wikipedia, like the top and the bottom. And, you know, I think about this as when we go through things in life to a certain extent, right? We can't really let the quote unquote bad or less desirable experiences that we have. We can't really let that mean too much about us yes. or we can't let them mean anything about where we're going. And I love that you take an even more optimistic and charmable approach of being like it's just it's part of life and like seeing the the joy and the sparkle in that and moving forward yeah that's the whole thing and I think we're getting a little bit away from it now but for probably 20 25 years in sort of pop psychology there's been this idea that if your life is not dazzling if you are not rich, if you are not with the partner of your dreams, if you're not living exactly where you want to live with even two more bedrooms than you had wanted, you're doing something wrong. There's something wrong with your thinking. You're just not getting it. But 
my belief is that that whole thing started with a lot of very successful people who didn't know how they got that way. They were successful and they had imposter syndrome like everybody else, and they didn't know why they were so successful. And they felt a little bit guilty about it. And they had to come up with some reason why it had happened for them. And so they said, oh, it's because I do this creative visualization and I think these positive thoughts and I draw all this stuff to me. Well, until they then draw some other stuff (laughs) to them. So, you know, we're all in this together and we're just the husband of a friend of mine used to always say to her when she'd get down on herself, he would say, you are right on time, doing (laughs) fine. And I just think of that often that, you know, it might not be perfect today, but I'm right on time, doing fine. Mm. And of course, it's good to think positive. And of course, it's good to look at your future in terms of uplift instead of, oh my God, everything's going to get worse than it is now. But just because you've got that, it doesn't say what your destiny is. And I think it's so important to leave destiny some room to work because Mm -hmm. we talk about, oh, I want a life beyond my wildest dreams. And I want it to be like this and like this and like this. Tomorrow. Well, how can it be beyond your wildest dreams if you just put it in a box? Yeah, such a good point. And this is so amazing because there's so many places we can go because like, yes, it's so important to envision your life or to get excited about it, to have the imagination, but to let it be so much more and to not put it in a box. And what I'm hearing you say with what your the husband of your friend said I like to kind of aim with this is interesting I wonder what you think about this it's a sort of aim for more of a neutral experience in life Mm. and not to feel neutral not to be like "Eh," like blah every day but to have the the quote on like the less desirable experiences ones you might think of like bad experiences or less desirable not be as bad and almost let the good ones like not be as shockingly amazing and just being like this is this is life right we have some things like this we have some things that are amazing this all makes sense and then having that kind of giddy I like to think of giddy excitement for life but really from this place of neutral and safe in the body of just like yeah this is this is what life feels like and it gets to get better And there also might be other things that happen in it too. I completely agree. I've never thought in terms of neutral, but I like that a lot. And you remind me, of course, of of yoga because the essence of yoga, we think the essence of yoga is how long can you maintain a handstand? But the essence of yoga, according to Patanjali, who invented it, is to still the fluctuations of the mind. So you're going along in life and you know, you get cast in a feature film, woo. But if your mind can be still, just keep going. And then that feature film is a giant flop, but your mind is still. (laughs) So you get to have the experiences without being pulled along by them. It's sort of like walking a dog who knows how to stand beside you and walk or a dog who wants to pull you down the street. You know, what kind of life do you want? Do you want life pulling you down the street or walking beside you being your companion? So good. I love that. Forever in my mind of the dog pulling you. And I think, you know, that neutral experience, it's not what we might think of neutral as like, eh, like not good or bad, but that neutral experience is the joy, is the bliss, is the experience, like where we are right now. So, so beautiful. And thanks for sharing your take on it. I love the way you worded that. And I would love to hear a little bit kind of going into more of some of the work that you're doing today. If you want to share some, I know we've been talking about, you know, I think we've had such a beautiful conversation so far, and I'd love to hear about some of the work that you're doing with Ayurveda and you know if you've been I don't know if it's come up on the podcast 
at all. I don't know it a ton about it, but I do have a general understanding. And sometimes I'll share little practices um, with my clients, just little things that I know. So I'm really excited to hear hear you share on it. So I'd love to just hear if you want to give us a little background or yeah of what Ayurveda is and how we can use it in our lives. Sure. Well, Ayurveda means science of life. And it's very interesting to me because it is a science, and yet it's not science as we think of in terms of modern Western science, where you have a hypothesis and you experiment and you determine if that hypothesis is accurate. It comes from the same rishis, these spiritual teachers who came up with yoga, and it really came from listening with great intentness to nature. And we are part of nature, even though we forget that, especially now. And so with Ayurveda, the the idea is that if you can live in harmony with nature's rhythms, then you're going to be healthier. So what causes most disease, the Ayurvedic sages would say, is forgetting who we are. We talked about that a little bit earlier, that spark of divinity. If you remember who you are, then you can honor who you are and you can honor your own particular constitution. So something that is is key in Ayurveda is that every physical body has a makeup of energies. There are three of them, vata, pitta and kapha. And most people are, well, everybody is a combination of all three. Some people are very, very much one and hardly any of the others. And some are a lot of two and not so much of a third, but whatever you are, whatever was imprinted upon your DNA at the moment of conception, that's perfect. So you take care of yourself to maintain this kind of ratio of energies that you are supposed to have, not what somebody else is supposed to have. So there are all kinds of quizzes online. Banyan Botanicals has a nice one. Deepak Chopra has nice uh, dosha quiz. And you can kind of get a sense of your body type. If you actually go to an Ayurvedic practitioner, you might get a little bit more accurate reading, but the quizzes are really quite good. And Then you come to see. So for example, if you're more vata, that means that chances are you feel cold a lot of the time. And if something um, negative shows up, so you get this letter from the IRS and you don't know what it is, you'll get all nervous and anxious and you're bright and sunny and you light up a room, but if you're scared or if you've been traveling too much or if your schedule has been erratic, then you can just get spacey and flighty. So that's that air energy of of Vata people. And just in describing that, anybody listening, if if people relate to that, then you kind of get a sense. Yeah, you know what that is. And there are other people like, I don't know, I'm not like that. So then we got like Pitta. And Pitta tends to be Uh, muscular and strong, and they're like executives and generals, and they really like getting things done. But if they're out of balance, they can be full of rage. They can just get so angry. And so, for example, if they get that same envelope from the IRS, they're not going to be scared and anxious. They're going to be like, whose fault is this? Is it H&R Block or is it the IRS? You know, it's not going to be their fault (laughs) because that's not how they see things. And so in in balance, you want a pitta around if you're in trouble or if you need protection, but you don't want an out of balance one around because they're going to yell and scream and, and make everything upsetting. So, and then kapha, kapha is so sweet, kapha is very kind and generous and warm and loving, but 
Kapha also tend to acquire things. They can, in, out of balance, a kapha can be a hoarder. They can uh, get really overweight because they just want to like hoard like the food within themselves. They're, they're very still and this makes them beautiful meditators, beautiful listeners, but it also means that they're very fond of sitting on the couch. And so they might run into some of the health problems that come from, from not being very mobile. If they get the letter from the IRS, they'll just put it over on the desk with the stack of other letters and in balance, they'll go get to it on Monday, but out of balance, it's going to be buried in some more stuff until, you know, an IRS agent comes to their door. So in Ayurveda, we learn that by living in harmony with nature, going to bed fairly early, getting up fairly early, eating meals at regular times and having the largest meal in the middle of the day and sleeping in a really quiet kind of cool room so that we have the best odds of sleeping through the night, keeping our senses cleansed. So getting up in the morning, splashing your face and um, maybe doing a neti pot, clearing your sinuses, uh, scraping your tongue, all these kind of little hygiene things just put you out into the world in a state of purity and energy that is conducive to physical and mental health. And it's just so much fun. It's just really, really fun because nature is out there doing its thing. And most of us are, you know, in buildings and, you know, I'm the worst. I'm in Manhattan. You know, there's not a tree anywhere, I think within a couple of blocks. Uh, and so I've really got to make a point of remembering that I'm part of nature. And when I do, I'm healthier. Yeah. So beautiful. And I wonder for people listening, if you're like, Oh, that's me. Or I definitely feel seen by some of them. I think I'm a little, I think I'm mostly Vata, but I have some Pitta in me. Yeah, sure. that's exactly what, and I know this sounds like the nerdy guy at a bar coming up and saying, I think you're Gemini, but really <laughs> to just look at you, which, you know, I know that the listeners aren't seeing us, but I'm seeing you. You have the Vata kind of build. You have a long neck, you're slender, and, you know, you have kind of Vata hair. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm largely Vata too, but I'm also Pitta. And we've both got kind of broad shoulders. Mm -hmm. And I'll bet that when you get into working out, you can build muscle pretty fast. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so, and, and that's another funny thing in terms of relationships. I think it's so important that people in close relationships should really understand one another's dosha makeup. Because for example, I'm mostly Vata. My husband is pretty much entirely Pitta. And for the first few years we were together before I knew about Ayurveda, I used to think, does he turn the air conditioner on like that just to make me miserable? <laughs> yeah. And and now I understand, no, to him, that's just a perfectly normal kind of temperature because pittas are hot and vajas are cold. And so, you know, you come to understand one another and you can figure out compromises better. Yeah, so key. And under there, there's so many. I love Ayurveda too, especially because it's what you said is so beautiful. And it's about coming back into balance with yourself. And it's really intuitive. A lot of the eating and, and things that are shared in Ayurveda. And I just love, you know, I'm just such a huge fan of always be curious about all these different ways that we can understand ourselves, understand other people. And the more we can sort of put words to things or understand things like why are they always putting the air conditioning on and have compassion for who people are it just makes life so much easier because there's less stories to tell and you're like mm -hmm. oh this makes sense which is funny because when we my partner and I drive from San Diego to LA he always has the AC blasting so I'm gonna have to look up <laughs> <laughs> Um, cool. I love, do you have anything that you could share for anybody listening who kind of wants to dip their toes in Ayurveda, anything that people can do to start to bring this into their life? Yeah. The first thing is a daily routine, which is called Adinacharya. And so many people say, well, I'm a night person, but nobody could have been a night person before Thomas Edison because they would have tripped over the furniture. 
So this whole concept of being a night person is just something that we've come up with in modern times. The truth is the kind of animals that we are as humans, as primates, is that we're supposed to be awake when the sun is up and pretty much asleep when it's not. And so if you can get into this habit of getting up early and in Ayurveda, that means around six o'clock, which I noticed some people is like six o'clock, but yeah, but you know, just even a little earlier than you get up now and kind of, of work back then what happens is you're in tune with the energies of the day. So if you sleep in much after 6.30 or 7, you're going to come into this time of repose when it's going to be really hard to get up. And you're going to get up and your head is going to be all fuzzy and you're just going to not feel right. And so if, if you do that, and then if you get yourself going, if you get some light on your pineal gland, if you get either natural light or one of those uh, seasonal affective disorder lamps and put that on first thing <laughs> in the morning so that you're you're giving your body what it would have gotten if we were living in an earlier time in history when the sun would have been your alarm clock and you would have gone out to do what you needed to do because that's um, the way it was then the having your biggest meal in the middle of the day, very difficult for people who work in offices and things like that, but everybody's got a weekend. And if you work for yourself or you have a little bit more flexibility that way, if you can start to transition so that you're eating your biggest meal in the middle of the day, moderate breakfast, you know, some people are real hungry in the morning. Some people are hardly hungry at all. You need a little something says Ayurveda in your stomach three times a day because your digestive fire, your Agni is expecting that. It just doesn't have to be a lot. So if you're not hungry for a big breakfast, don't eat a big breakfast, but eat something. But then in the middle of the day, sometime between like 1130 and two o'clock, have a real meal and sit down for it and eat slowly and kind of pay attention to, to the foods that make you feel good, the ones that are a little bit more difficult to deal with. And sometimes people will say, oh, it's really hard for me to digest, say, cabbage family vegetables, you know, kale and broccoli, even though those are supposed to be so nutritious. So if you want to consume them because of the nutrition and the phytochemicals and all that, then start with smaller quantities. Start with steaming or um blending or juicing or some of that just so you can just be real sweet to yourself you know if your digestive system is having trouble with something no food is healthy that you can't digest so just kind of work with yourself and see if you can bring in some of the foods that you're attracted to that just might not be quite so easy for you and if if they're not easy give yourself a few days rest you know there is no food on earth that you have to eat if it makes your stomach hurt. And again, you know, we we look to the outside world. Yes, but Dr. So-and-so says I'm supposed to be eating this. Well, that's fine. Let him have the stomach ache. You know, we've got to take care of ourselves. So, so the biggest meal in the middle of the day is a, a really, really useful thing. Bringing in some yoga and finding the kind of yoga that works for you, because there are so many options on a theme. And some kinds of yoga are very quiet and meditative, and they're mostly stretching. And some are very athletic. And you just have to find what works for you. And maybe you'll like different ones at different times. You know, some people have, I mean, I take three different kinds of yoga every week, because there's something to be said for energetic, and there's something to be said for contemplative. So do move your body. And if yoga is not the thing for you, the only thing that separates yoga really from other kind of exercise is the intention that you're going to bring your whole body, that this process is going to be healing to your body and also uplifting to your spirit and the breath. Because in yoga, we focus and concentrate on the breath. So if you're a runner or if you're into weightlifting and you bring the intention and the breath, then that's your yoga. And, uh, oh, and then the final thing I'll say, final tip is don't eat late at night hmm. because your body is supposed to be finished with digestion when you go to bed. 
So if we're going to bed early, let's say we're going to go to bed 10, 10, 30, you want to have finished dinner by eight o'clock because otherwise you're going to be digesting food all night, which is going to interfere with your sleep. And it's also going to keep you from doing the detoxification process that's supposed to happen at night. And then you'll get up in the morning and you'll feel kind of hung over and you'll have this big, you know, Argyle socks on your tongue and you'll just be bringing yesterday into today when it's not supposed to be there. We're supposed to live in daytight compartments. Yesterday was what it was. Now today is supposed to be fresh. You can't be fresh if you still got last night's dinner going on in your gut. So eat early and eat fairly lightly at night. And um, that'll get you started on the Ayurvedic way of life. And there's some good books too. Um, Deepak Chopra's first book, Perfect Health, is just a classic and wonderful. I love it. And then there's a new book by a lovely new young Ayurvedic uh, person on the scene. And her name is Sarah Kuchera, K-U-C-E-R-A. And her book is called the Ayurvedic Self-Care Handbook. And it comes, if you get the actual paper book, with a little ribbon bookmark attached to it. So you got to love it. Yeah, amazing. Thank you for sharing all that. So it was wake up early, wake up around six, Mm -hmm. eat your biggest meal in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. And um, scrape your tongue when you get up before you uh, kiss anybody or drink anything is is a good thing to do. Get some yoga in your life or yogify the exercise that you do with intention and breath and have an early light supper that you finish at least two hours before bed. Amazing. All, a, a lot of my listeners are probably like, <laughs> I have a lot of action sports people. They're like, okay, my yoga is skateboarding or throwing myself off a cliff on skis, <laughs> um, but also yoga and just doing it with intention. Well, I mean, the action stuff is so amazing. My daughter is a professional aerialist and stunt mm-hmm. performer, and there's just something so meditative about doing an activity that requires all your concentration that, I mean, the closest I've come to any of that is aerial yoga. And even that, if you're not paying attention, you fall on your head. And so where you could do regular yoga, or you could be taking a cardio class or whatever, and you could be thinking somewhere else. But when you're doing something where you have to focus, that is like high meditation. So that's really cool. Yeah. It's such, it's almost like a cheat code. You're like, if your life is on the line, you have to focus, you have to be present. And I think that's why I love, I'm a, I snowboard, surf, I skate so many people, you know, because so many people who I work with and I'm friends with are sort of do stuff like that too. And it's definitely, I think that meditative yoga piece, Yeah, it keeps us all coming back. I mean, it's, it's that high you get from like being so focused and then you're done and you're like, that was amazing. So yeah, skateboarding counts for anybody listening. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And if you guys like write those down, try, see what you can add into your life, maybe start with one, maybe start with two and see what that does, see how you feel. And I would love if you want to share, I'll add your stuff in the show notes, but if anybody wants to connect with you or read your books, how can they connect with you? Are there any books that they should read first. Ah, thank you so much. Well, it depends on what they're interested in. I would send people to my website, which is victoriamoran.com. And you can read about all the books and some other stuff there. I hope people will like that. And if uh, you have an interest in Ayurveda, then I am doing a a Zoom workshop uh, coming up in June. And you can check that out at tinyurl.com slash youthful Ayurveda. It's uh, acing age with Ayurveda, but even if you're young, it'll work. It's never too early to start. Amazing. I love that. And I love just, we didn't really talk about this much on the show, but like 
you know, we mentioned a couple of times that you're 73 years old and like feel so youthful. So I, I love that you're sharing that with the world. And I hope that some people listening, check it out and check it out, share it with people, you know, that sounds incredible. Thank you. Well, it's so much fun to share your passions and you just start talking about something that you're passionate about. I mean, I saw it on you when you started talking about the action sports. It's like there's there's just a different energy whenever we get into an area that is like, oh my gosh, this has changed my life. And Ayurveda is certainly like that for me. And I think it's kind of contagious. You know, somebody starts talking like you were talking about the action sports and I'm thinking, wow, I haven't been back to aerial yoga since the pandemic. I need to do that. So it's cool. You know, we've just been through all these years of, oh my God, what if I catch this horrible thing? But guess (laughs) what? You can catch some really good stuff by hanging out with people who are passionate. I love that. Oh my gosh. Um, I just had so much fun doing this conversation and having you. Thank you. Thank you. Me too. Yeah, that was beautiful. So thank you for such an epic conversation. I hope that if you're listening, I'm, I hope you just love that. I'm sure you did. And just appreciate you being here so much and listening, and I will see you in the next episode. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you love this episode, please share on Instagram and tag me. I can guarantee it will make my day to hear from you. If you want to stay in the loop for future episodes, make sure to subscribe. And as always, if this episode made you think of someone you love, or you know someone who would benefit from listening, please send it their way. You never know how you can impact someone's life. Until next time.